We have been talking about shopping a fair amount over this month, uh, and mostly been talking about Christmas shopping, but this morning I want to take us back to just your ordinary grocery shopping and, and do a little survey. And this could be a little divisive, a little contentious, so it's risky, but a, a show of hands, and we're going to get kind of a, a feel for this. If you're going down, for example, the cereal aisle, and you're in the mood for a cereal that has some sort of white sugary coating on it and, and a flake of some kind, show of hands, are you the sort that would go for Safeway Frosted Flakes or Kellogg's Frosted Flakes? And, and do you know the price difference between these two, by the way? $2.99 for like $59. Okay, so it, it, I, I was surprised actually. I was looking for the plastic bag of, of Frosted Flakes. Have you seen those? But, uh, but now they've upgraded to a box and they've even gotten away now. The trademark must be up because these are actually called Frosted Flakes. But they're Frosted. So how many for Frosted Flakes? For $2.99. And then those for Kellogg's Frosted Flakes for four. Yeah, see? Why? Why what, the difference? Or, or maybe you're this kind. This week I finally needed some of this. Do you go for um, Tylenol or acetaminophen? Yes, acetaminophen. Advil or ibuprofen? Nah, ibuprofen, right? Pay more, generic. These are issues of generic brands. Uh, uh, Coca-Cola, diet caffeine-free. Or cola, <laughs> right? Yes. Shopping and, and, and the decisions to make. Cost, a little cheaper, versus, so why is it that many of you, were, th these companies can get away with charging $1.50 more for Tony the Tiger and, and a different font on the box and whatever? Well, we, we've been a little hard on uh, advertisers over the last few weeks, uh, especially in talking about how they are you know, scamming us into thinking that we need to buy more and everything. But Advertisers do their job brilliantly, don't they? And, and if there's anyone that understands human nature, it's people who are in marketing and advertising, right? And, and what, they, what they talk about that they're doing when they create a, a brand is interesting, right? Have you heard them talk about it as creating a, a narrative or a story for that brand? So, so you can get Frosted Flakes with the same ingredients from Safeway for $1.50 cheaper, but it doesn't come with this story, right? And what is the story? Show them you're a tiger. Show them what you can do. The taste of Kellogg's Frosted Flakes, what? There, brings out the tiger in you. They're great, right? We all want to be a tiger. I mean, that's how I want to start my morning. You want to start with Frosted Flakes or I'm going to take this day like the tiger in me and it's going to, they're great. I want a great day or a Safeway Frosted Flakes day. It comes with, with a story, a narrative, and those stories are costly, aren't they? So there's the $1.50 difference, is to put together Tony the Tiger and all those thousands of advertisements that have helped us all memorize that whole story, and even get a feeling when you go down the grocery aisle and say, hmm, Safeway Frosted Flakes or Tony the Tiger, it's a costly, costly thing. So I suppose when it comes to shopping, like grocery shopping, the choice between Generic brand and a brand, a generic and a brand name is not that big of a deal. Some of you go one way, some the other. In the end of the day, maybe save a dollar, 
not a big deal. But what about when it comes to things that are more important? Like, for example, our theme for this morning at the end of this Advent series, love all. Love all. It's hard to argue with that theme, right? I mean, isn't that kind of a great Christmas theme to to finish off? Love all. Who's going to, anyone object to love all? It's a tall order, right? Where are we close to 7 billion people in the world now? Love all those people. Kind of a tall order. And yet, on the other hand, there's something that's actually a little bit easy about it too, isn't there? We've been working towards this, talking about uh, 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 in, in worshiping fully this Christmas season. Maybe it means spending a little less. Maybe it means giving more of ourselves, our time, our energy, our efforts into the relationships around us. And, and now, love all. Loving everybody. Kind of a generic idea, right? In a way, a very tall order. In another way, kind of easy. There, there's something about these generic principles and ideas that make them pretty accessible to all of us, right? How about another one? Ending poverty, for or against, right? <laughs> Are you for ending poverty or against it? Well, most of us probably would take a vote. It'd be a pretty wide margin on that one. Peace on earth, for or against. And if it's a Miss America pageant, we will discover all contestants are for peace on earth. Hard to argue with that. And when we say that, we are not being disingenuous, are we? We're not lying. We really, truly believe. We desire peace on earth, the end of poverty, poverty, loving all people. But of course, that's where it gets tricky, right? Because when it comes to, say, your spouse, for example, and and you promise to love them for the rest of your life, that's an important thing. We do that in, in marriage and over and over promising, I will love you forever for as long as I live. And we mean it when we say that. But it's also pretty easy to say, isn't it? Maybe it's a little bit generic. Luke's gospel, in Luke's gospel, Jesus has uh, an interaction with a, a certain legal professional, a legal scholar that I think builds on this notion. So turn for a minute in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. We're coming back to the Christmas story, but this is part of Jesus' life, the one we celebrate at Christmas. Luke chapter 10, it's a very well-known story. You will know it backwards and forwards, most likely. Luke chapter 10, starting with verse 25, it, it reads like this. A legal expert stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to gain eternal life? Now, it is not at all uncommon at this time for a rabbi to stand up and want to ask a question of of a new or or famous rabbi like Jesus was becoming. This is not really a a trap at this point. This is a a question that they would do all the time. Well, let's, let's have a conversation. Let's have a debate about an interesting question. This one is very central to Jewish identity. What is it? How would you sum up the law to describe what it is that gets us from this life into the age to come? A basic question for Jesus. So Jesus replies, again, in not an altogether uncommon way, let me, let me answer your question with a question of my own. Jesus replied, what is written in the law? He asked this legal scholar. And, and how do you interpret it? Which is a reminder that there were all kinds of interpretations. That's how the Jews studied scripture was to come up with, not only did they know the facts of the Bible, but then they began to interpret it. What's your interpretation? He asked this legal scholar. 
What do you think it says? And so in verse 27, this legal scholar responds, this biblical student responds, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your being, with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. He answers by combining a text from Deuteronomy 6 and a text from Leviticus 19 and puts them together in what was becoming also a fairly common way of summing up the heart of Scripture. This is what Hebrew Scripture tells us we are to do. This is the basic essence of life following after God in obedience to God. Love God with all of yourself and love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus says to him, you know this story. You've answered correctly. Good answer. Do this and you will live. Jesus agrees with him. He too understands the the essence of Scripture to be the same thing. Love God with all of yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. And, and, And he responds in a simple way and then adds for his debate partner just a little bit extra. Do this and you will live. You've answered well. If you really live it out, you're on the right track. Maybe in, in hearing Jesus' response, this, this questioner, this person that's come, perceives that Jesus is giving just a subtle little, little prodding there. And, and maybe he feels just a little bit unsettled that Jesus says, you've answered correctly, so do this and you will live. Maybe he feels a little uncomfortable, and, 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 and so he, he takes the next turn in this debate. If he would have left it there, it would have been a fairly normal conversation between two scholars of the Bible, but this man feels a little uncomfortable, and so he, tries, he takes the next move. But the legal expert, Luke says, wanted to prove that he was right. He wanted to feel good about this argument again, and, and he wanted to gain back the upper hand from Jesus. And so he poses to Jesus what he knows is a very contentious, a very argued about question among his peers of biblical scholars and legal experts. He says to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor that I'm required by the law to love as myself? Because see, in the, in the melting pot of Palestine, especially in Galilee, these Jews were mixing and interacting with Gentiles and Samaritans and all kinds of people. And the question of who, just who should be included in loving one's neighbor was a, a, a hot-button one. And no doubt there were great debates held all the time to sort of draw the various lines and boundaries and try and figure out who counts in loving my neighbor and who doesn't count, who I don't have to love as my neighbor. And so he brings this up, maybe in the hope that it will distract the congregation because he knows that whatever, Jesus, whatever answer Jesus gives is going to be contentious enough that everyone will be in an uproar and they'll forget about that awkward moment where Jesus said, you've answered well, now do it and you'll be, you'll be fine. So I imagine Jesus, now that this extra level of question has come, Jesus pauses. He's been kind of walking along with the crowds answering, but he pauses now and he turns directly to face his question or maybe finds a rock to sit down on and he takes a deep breath. And then as he begins to speak, his his cadence slows and, and that tone of voice changes as he says, you know, a certain man 
was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. In other words, Jesus says, once upon a time, there was this guy. Jesus is now telling a story. They've, they've entered this legal debate about who counts as loving one's neighbor. And Jesus says, you know, I could respond with the, the usual back and forth and trying to draw categories and everything. But he decides instead, you know what, let me tell you a story. Once upon a time, there was this guy going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And, and you know the story. Because it's got, it's got characters and a plot and these concrete specific problems and, and some possible solutions and responses. It's a guy who's going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and all of a sudden some bandits beat him up and leave him by the side of the road. And as he's bleeding there on the side of the road, some passers-by arrive as they tend to do while walking on the road. There's a priest and there's a Levite, a legal expert. I'm sure that didn't, the irony there didn't pass this legal expert talking to Jesus. And both of them pass him by. And then there's this Samaritan who's a member of, whose membership in the people of God is very much in question. And this Samaritan is the one who stops, sees the man, stops, binds up his wounds, carries him to an inn, pays for his hotel bill, pays his very costly medical expenses. And as he goes, he says, I promise on my way back, I'll check with you again and see how you're doing. Jesus tells a story where there's problems and there's solutions and the solutions are costly and there's people who make decisions and the plot unfolds and the characters sort of figure out how to work through this story. It's not abstract generic ideas about loving anymore, Jesus gives them something quite practical and concrete to chew on as he tells the story. <laughs> He's now taken this very important idea that the lawyer had thought carefully about. What is it that matters as the central part of obeying God? The answer, love God with all of yourself, love your neighbor as yourself. And as they studied and wrestled with this idea, that was important. The debate, the scholarship, all of it important. But Jesus now takes that idea and he brings it to life with a flesh and blood story about a guy traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. And at the end of the story, he asks this questioner, that famous question, so who now lived out love for his neighbor in this story? And this legal scholar, having heard the story, has to respond, probably quietly, well, it's the one who did kindness to the man on the road. And so then Jesus can say, now you go and do likewise. Because he's gotten pretty specific and pretty detailed and pretty concrete in talking about what it looks like to love your neighbor. And so he can say to this legal scholar who has some great ideas about love, here's what it looks like, you go and do the same in your world. He's talked to this man who, who's got his biblical principles and his, his, his ideas and his concepts figured out well and Jesus said, here's a flesh and blood story. Go do that like this. Go and do likewise. And as advertisers remind us over and over, a story, a narrative with character and plot and all of those things, they're costly things to create. 
Stories are much costlier than generic ideas and generic concepts, aren't they? Stories put flesh and blood on ideas by presenting us with specific people, concrete problems that have costly solutions. But church, isn't that exactly what the Christmas story is all about? The advent of God coming into the world. It's it's the story, the Christmas story is the story of where God takes some ideas, some very true, very good ideas about God is love or God is merciful or all through the Old Testament, God desires a, a covenant relationship with all human people. God takes those ideas and puts blood and flesh on them. He incarnates those ideas. He makes them real by arriving in our world as Jesus of Nazareth, a baby born in a Bethlehem barn. Son of God, the Word made flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. John 14, uh, John chapter 1, verse 14 has a different way of telling the Christmas story. You know these words well from the message paraphrase of the Bible. John 1.14 reads, The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. The word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. Sounds like the beginning of a real story. God got specific. God got concrete. God got practical and moved right into our neighborhood. A specific neighborhood at a specific time in history in a place that had all kinds of people and all kinds of problems. Isn't that the story of Jesus that we celebrate at Christmas? And isn't that our story too? Isn't that why we sing in that beautiful hymn, this is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long because that very specific story about Jesus is the one that brings very real healing, salvation, and transformation to each one of us. It's our story too. And it's why we worship. It's why we gather to come and behold and see this advent of God, this Christ child who has come into our world. And it's why we're invited to respond to Jesus' invitation. Now go and do likewise. Go and live in a flesh and blood story that has specific people with concrete problems and, yes, costly solutions. We're invited, church family, at Christmas time in this Advent season, we are invited to indeed love all. But not in the abstract, generic way of just saying, yeah, love all, I'm for that, that's good. Generic forms may be cheaper and they may be less demanding, but we are called to very specific flesh and blood kinds of responses that are loving all. 
And of course, the thing about getting specific, you know that, and, and this is the struggle for some of us, getting specific means as we say yes to some things, it means by default saying no to others. And I think that's where some of us get a little paralyzed and say, how can I say no to all these good things? It's better just to sort of stand back and say, I'm for all of it. But getting specific, getting flesh and blood means saying yes to some things and no to others, not because they're bad, but because we are going to dive in with something very concrete, very specific, very flesh and blood, real to our story. I think what Jesus is saying in this story and what he tells us is that whatever situation it is that crosses your path, that's the one you're invited to. So jump in and get real, get specific. And as we've been saying from the front here, through this month, as church leadership, we feel that one of the stories that has crossed our path, at least in a corporate way, is the story of folks who are working at the San Diego Rescue Mission. It's the ministry that they do there. And, and there's a number of ways in the last several months and years that the work of the San Diego Rescue Mission has crossed our paths in very real and tangible ways here in this church congregation as well as all over the San Diego community and even beyond that. It's a specific story that we are deciding to get specific about, which means sort of saying no to some other things, not because they're bad, but because we've decided we want to jump into this thing for this time and this place this year. So just for a few minutes, I want to invite you to turn your attention to the screens and just hear a few of these very real stories with real people, real problems, and real solutions. Nearly 10,000 homeless men, women, and children call the streets of San Diego their home. Since 1955, San Diego Rescue Mission has been on the forefront in helping these desperate men, women, and children to regain the life that God intended. Hi, I'm Herb Johnson, President and CEO of the San Diego Rescue Mission, and I'm here to welcome you to the mission where lives change daily. The San Diego Rescue Mission was founded August 30th, 1955, in a small abandoned card room on G Street. We couldn't offer much more than warm meals and prayer, but it was enough to encourage some men and women to change their lives. Three years later, the rescue mission moved a few blocks away to Fifth Avenue, where we were able to house the homeless for the first time. In 1967, the mission was helping so many women and children that we decided to open a family shelter on 14th Street. To help with downtown redevelopment in the 1980s, we moved to a larger facility on J Street, bringing hope to thousands of homeless men. In 1992, we opened a women and children's center on South 16th Street that housed a new long-term shelter for families. Within a few years, we also used this center to start an emergency overnight shelter for needy women and children called Nueva Vida Haven, which means New Life Home. To make way for the new ballpark district in the late 90s, the rescue mission looked for a new place to consolidate its programs. 
54 years later, we've moved uptown and expanded to house nearly 400 men, women, and children and operate six different programs. Each evening, we feed and house up to 60 women and children in Nueva Vida Haven, our emergency shelter, the only shelter in the city to offer evening entry. I just thank the San Diego Rescue Mission and just for everything it's done for me, for the great staff, just, just for uh, freely giving to me. And uh, I thank you guys a lot for everything. This is a good place. It helps you, feeds you more ways than one. It gives you Jesus. It gives you self-respect. Went from uh, just being a thug, just a nothing, and, and God took, you know, he's the only one that could take nothing and, and turn it into something. And, and that's what he's done with my life and my son's life, and I'm just uh, forever grateful because uh, it all happened right here at San Diego Rescue Mission. I'm grateful, you know, I didn't eat like this out there. I didn't eat hot meals out there. <laughs> I can't say enough thank you. Thank you for my own personal understanding. Thank you for helping me. I mean, you don't know me from Adam, but you took the time out. You took a moment out of your time. You took a moment out of your heart, and you gave. And I thank you from the bottom of my heart. We're happy. We have children here, mothers, families, little children who are innocent, and they are homeless too. In our two 12-month programs, we have had success rates that are on par or better with the elite rehabilitation programs across the country. Here at the San Diego Rescue Mission, we combine the best clinical practices with basic Christian teachings to produce incredible, life-changing results. The Outpatient Therapy Clinic is a free resource to the community where we provide free counseling services to the homeless, addicted, abused, and those at risk of becoming so. Real people, real stories, real problems, and real and costly but transforming solutions. This is, this is God in the flesh, God incarnated. It's Christ found among the least of these and Christ present in those who are offering healing and, and hope. So Jesus said, go and do likewise. And he says it because we too have been offered the costly healing and hope that God gives us through his son. We've all been offered it, and we can sing praises because our lives have been touched by this very specific and concrete gift from a God who's willing to do it. So one way that we're inviting you to jump into a, to a real story this year is to give financially to the rescue mission. We've been doing some other tangible things. There's a group right now who's out helping the rescue mission hand out invitations to people for the, the Christmas dinner that happens later. So we're doing a lot of things, but we are inviting you this morning to give financially to the San Diego Rescue Mission. It's where our, our free will offerings are going uh, this week, a decision made by your entire church board leadership. And there are plenty of other wor worthy causes we could have chosen, but we've decided to get specific and choose this one that has crossed our path in many ways. So we're jumping in, and we invite you to give. I also invite you to consider where else in your lives God is inviting you and nudging you and encouraging you to get real and incarnated 
in the lives of people around you? Where is God asking you to go and do likewise what he has already done for you in your life?